The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And this week, we welcome Chris Frain from Open the Podcast Doors Hal Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, to to uh, from a far-flung future... <laughs> in, in, uh, a podcast oh, another. In, interestingly enough, actually, our movie, um, of course, not in the same universe as yours, but our movie only takes place four years before yours. And wow, what a difference in technology and, and Earth society. <laughs> well, you know, when you convert Manhattan to a maximum security prison, things just, you know, fix themselves in four <laughs> years. And, and you end up uh, with this uh, beautiful uh, uh, space odyssey afterwards. Uh, we, we've talked about on the show, uh, a, if we did a remake of 2001, somehow trying to include earth bound, you know, what that universe looks like on earth in, Mm. in 2001. And, uh, I don't know if it would look like this though. I don't think, uh, it was very dystopian, but it, but, uh, Arthur C. Clarke does talk about in the novel, he talks about, uh, overpopulation and food scarcity so it's a little more uh, uh pessimistic than than the movie shows us hmm. so maybe maybe a little uh the remake could have charlton heston running around it's people exactly it's people. <laughs> <laughs> certainly shinier on the ship than it is on earth i would imagine oh yeah slightly less psychedelic as well <laughs> <laughs> Well, today we are on Minute 16, and we begin with Hauk checking out an empty presidential escape pod, and uh, we end with a finger. The fi- well, the, the finger technically is not till tomorrow, though. A, a finger in a blanket, then, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite hors d'oeuvre. We know we, there's, there's something. There's something at the end of the minute. We're not quite sure what it is yet. <laughs> it's a, so, it's but, a mystery uh, thing. Yes, it's a mystery <laughs> thing, yes. So uh, I know we talked about the pods landing yesterday, but I thought of something new about the pod as we move into our second minute here of how checking it out and walking away from it. We, we mentioned that it, it landed so perfectly on display. And I, and I, in watching then this minute, I realized what it reminds me of, you know, how on the vernal equinox, the first day of spring, you can stand yes. and up. It, it's, it's like that. So perhaps, <laughs> Perhaps this is the vernal equinox that the day that this movie takes place. That's so happy and springy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. I feel like there should be an Easter bunny in there and, and <laughs> eggs and such. That's so fun. <laughs> because there's no snow, so it's not, and, and, and no one's wrapped in winter blankets, so it's not the, the winter. It's not the summer. People aren't in t-shirts and shorts, so the weather could certainly fit it being the vernal yeah. equinox. Hey, I don't want to ruin the vernal equinox for anyone, but <laughs> you can stand an egg up any day of the year if you just do it carefully. Oh. I fell for that myth when I was like 
11 years old. And I was so proud of myself for standing an egg up on the vernal equinox. I said, see, you know, science is right. And then my dad said, you know, you can do that any day of the year. Oh, oh just shattered your balloon there. Yeah, it's worse than finding out that, oh, oh I should, I, I've said too much. <laughs> so then Hauk walks away from the pod and... If you watch the way that he walks, he's limping, and he's kind of unsteady getting out of that rubble. And this is not a character choice by Lee Van Cleef. This is actually Lee Van Cleef himself, that by this age, he could not walk without a painful limp. He'd been in a car accident about 20 years or so earlier in the late 50s, and that's him actually limping. That, that is not a character choice. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, I remember reading that about him, um, but I didn't connect that. I just thought he was just like being awkward, which I really resonated with because I, yeah, I'm I'm not particularly a graceful individual. So I was kind of endearing about Hauk, but that could have easily been some type of like Texas Thunder injury, too. And we can, you know, make up some background character story for him as well on that. <laughs> you know, it, it's the mileage on Lee Van Cleef that's the important thing. Right now, I'm looking up how many IMDb acting credits he has. And of course, um, you know, he was in all of the all of the spaghetti westerns, pretty much. So, I mean, that that's that's a lot of work right there and a lot of uh, physical work. I, I, I just found it. One hundred and seventy three. Wow. Damn. Acting credits. Oh, and by the way, Kurt Russell, ninety nine. So we need to get, we need to get him up to a hundred, but yeah, the, Lee Van Cleef did a uh, did a lot of work, and and it's it's amazing he you know is still the. Uh, are we allowed to curse on the podcast? Oh, please do so. It, it's amazing he's he's the badass uh, that that he is in this film still. Yeah, we uh, we talked a bit about him when his character first popped up on the screen, but have you seen him in a lot of other things? Are you a big fan of his? Not, well, he's in uh, two of the Man With No Name films uh, for a few dollars more, which I think is his best uh, performance in that. And then um, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, of course. And uh, I'm trying to think what else I've seen him in. Uh, Fans of Mystery Science Theater would remember him from Master Ninja, (laughs) which was a made-for-television it was a, it was a pilot episode for what would be a series that never got to series, um, and I've just seen him in lots of random westerns. I, I can't even remember the names of. So a character that we have not seen yet in this movie, and we finally get to meet now, and we get our first actual prisoner that we're going to interact with, and. Boy, I don't know anybody that watches this movie that doesn't love him. Molly, uh, I know I know you particularly uh, love him. You want, you want to take our intro here of our first prisoner? Oh, uh, this is the longest strut in the history of all struts. <laughs> nice. It's like, I don't know, man, 10 seconds. And you get like an, a, a beautiful like 50-yard squint from Lee Van Cleef here. Hauk's like, what's up with this? And and we got our boy, you know. Uh, this is Romero coming up. And he's just out of the mist. I love how he, I mean, literally, this is like a 10-second strut, so you're just, like, waiting on this guy <laughs> forever. 
but he's amazing. And I love when he comes up. He has this almost Shakespearean bow to Hauk. Oh, it's such a great head nod. It's so, I mean, he's obviously doing it to be an asshole, you know, and it's just so awesome. Oh, and it's kind of off-putting and strange because the first time you see it, you're like, what is, what's the deal here? Like, what's up with the pomp and circumstance? And the hair, my God, the hair, <laughs> the hair. Where do, do you guys have any idea where this dude is like picking up product in the <laughs> wasteland of Manhattan? I'm just like, that's impressive enough to me. You know, I'm I don't. If it, I'm wondering if it's just he hasn't showered in so long that there's no shower facilities, and it, it's just the hair is just so filled with gunk, it's just up. It's just dirt and crazy is keeping it <laughs> together. <laughs> so my notes about his hair, I, I it, it, it's bothered me for years because I've thought I know this. What does this remind me of? And and then I flashed back to about 20 years ago. And my nephew was a big fan of Dragon Ball Z. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this is a character from Dragon Ball Z. So I actually looked it up and it's it's Goku from Dragon Ball Z. Basically has the same hairstyle. But obviously that was almost 20 years after this film was made. Um, so he should be suing them <laughs> for, uh, for royalties on that. But I also... Oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, uh, I was just going to say one of the things that I was reading up on is uh, the actor who uh, plays him is um, Frank Doubleday. And Frank Doubleday was allowed to basically like create with creative freedom about the voice of Romero, the movement, the behavior, um, and then also just like the the actual like costuming. So like this is very much a creative act by this actor. And I, I think it's amazing that for one, John Carpenter was not like a micromanager, was like, look, you know, you get to inhabit this character and create him. So this level of crazy that we're seeing, that's Frank Doubleday. <laughs> None yeah, of you that wonder, surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder how often in a major motion picture release, an actor gets to get that much freedom. You know, uh, maybe sometimes a director might let them work with the voice or a director may say, yeah, go with costuming, work out your costume. But, you know, to give that level of freedom, there's everything about it. Just, you know what, take this character and do what you want. Uh, I, I imagine, especially in this day and age, when directors really hold a tight rein on their movies, I can't imagine that's very common, like, unless unless it's one of those movies that are specifically made to be improvisational. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think unless you're like Tom Cruise, you know, or Scarlett Johansson, I think sure. for the most part, there's quite a bit of uh, directorial imprint, you know, and especially for this character who I, I mean, he's got, you know, he's he has acting credits, but, you know, he, he was not the stature of, you know, Lee Van Cleef or you know even Kurt Russell. You know, to give him that that full creative license, I think, to, is is awesome. Part of what makes this movie incredible is this character because he's so he really gives you a full introduction to what is actually living on Manhattan right now. That's really right. well put. He's he's feral. Mm. Yes. Yeah. He, he, and and alien almost. I mean, it, it's sort of humanity stripped down to an insane um, combination of, of animal and, and, and what's left of human in, in this environment. You can't help but uh, sort of enjoy this character at a, at a very strange level. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because even as, as, you know, he's got the crazy voice, but even before he opens his mouth, you know this guy is nuts. The eyes, he's got the right. crazy, strange eyes. He's got those, each of his arms, he's got some kind of weird metal armband on his biceps that seem to serve no purpose whatsoever. He probably just <laughs> has them because they look cool. You know, we hear the laugh. The first, the introduction to this character is that crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Joker laugh, yeah. yeah. He's uh, he's the Duke's salacious crumb. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that he gets right to it with Hauk. He comes in, he does his little goofy bow, and then launches right into, you know, you're not out of here, he dies. You got 30 seconds, he dies. You touch me, he dies. He's not, he's not screwing around. He gets right to it. He's the craziest man with the best boundaries ever. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to give you terms, and... It's it's amazing. We're going to see this a little bit in the future two minutes, but uh, uh, you can see why Hauk is going to be bringing in help here because the negotiations break down rather quickly. Can you even call this a negotiation? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I got to remember this next time I buy a car. Oh, I'm seriously? Gonna, yeah, I'm just going to show up, laugh maniacally, present a finger in a in a handkerchief. And then say, you know, I get the car or he dies. This would be the best guy to bring in with you if you're buying a used car. I swear to God, like you want a brand new or you want a brand new Buick. You bring Romero with you. (laughs) He's going to handle shit for you. It's going to be great. (laughs) I read one website that described the character as a ghoulish cross between Mick Jagger and Medusa. Oh, and if you look when he's doing his strut, there's a really cool bit of filmmaking from John Carpenter with his shadow. As you get to like minute, eh, second 30, 31, 32 of this minute, and as he starts walking closer for just a couple of seconds, you can see Romero's shadow along the brick wall, and it gets larger and larger and eventually moves off screen, and it just it looks really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And Are he's coming out of the mist, too. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready for some Frank Doubleday trivia? Yes. You do, absolutely. Uh, well, it, I don't know if this is trivia, but he did uh, appear in a previous John Carpenter film, uh, Assault on Precinct 13. And specifically, he's in that scene. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie. Um, there's a very disturbing scene where this group of crazies basically roll up to a girl buying, I mean, a a small girl buying ice cream from an ice cream vendor, uh, from an ice cream truck, and just kill her. They just Mm. shoot her. And it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, But he's he's in the scene. He's the, uh, the trigger man on that. And it sort of sets the tone for the whole film of, uh, here's what our protagonists are up against. Um, you know, these people have no regard for human life at all. Mm. Um, so this guy got typecast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and like we're already discovering with some of these people in this movie, as, as we go through credits and when I was looking at his IMDb page, another guy that was one of those people that was on a lot of those seventies and eighties TV shows and guest spots, Chips, Wonder Woman, Charlie's Angels, Incredible Hulk, T.J. Hooker, just another one of those people that made the rounds and all the big action shows of the day 
in various guest roles. He also has kids that have become, well, his wife, too, his former wife, um, because unfortunately Frank's not with us anymore. But uh, his daughters, Caitlin Doubleday and Portia Doubleday, are both uh, accomplished actresses in their own right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, I believe it's Caitlin who had a reoccurring role on Empire, if anybody was uh, or has watched that. And that's where I recognized her for. Uh, my wife watched a few episodes a few years ago, and I was in the room with her. <laughs> so other than Terrence Howard, I don't really know. I remember anything else about what I watched. Yeah, it's a soap opera. Uh, yeah, I never really got into it much past the the first season, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's just been some uh, Empire news as of late, but um, yeah, um, <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, I know. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he comes from a, a family. They they all uh, were actors. Uh, Frank was was teaching acting along with his wife um, before they passed away, or she passed it. Let's try that again. Frank was teaching acting along with his wife, Christina Hart, uh, before he passed away. Um, so he passed away about a year ago. But um, yeah, they were both. Uh, Christina was uh, kind of like Frank in terms of like making the rounds, did like three's company, that kind of thing. So yeah, family actors. Now all I can picture is Romero showing up on the set of Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> That's like if David Lynch did Three's Company. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Would be great to see Romero do one of the Mr. Roper fourth wall break smiles. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, he, as you said, he died in 2018. And, you know, it's one of those things where you hear that one of the actors that played an awesome role in a movie from your youth dies, you're going, Oh, you know, it always bummed you out. But this one, I had already started thinking about that. My next podcast would be escape from New York minute. And so I was doubly bummed because I said, Oh, that would have been a great guest to try to get on as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a combo of, you know, a cool character I knew from my youth as a movie. And then, you know, missing the chance on, you know, possibly, you know, not that he would have said yes, who knows, but uh, at least the chance to reach out to try to get him as a guest. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's quite a few uh, folks from this movie that aren't with us anymore, which is, you know, a bummer on a lot of levels, because, I mean, you know, like Isaac Hayes, I didn't know that until I started doing research on this. Um, He's also, you know, one of the the fallen actors of this movie. Yeah, one of many. There's there's not too many left. Kurt Russell, Adrian Barbeau, uh, Season Hubley, that's about it. I don't know if you brought this up. Uh, Adrian Barbeau, I believe... Hearing that she has a show on the uh, Shutter Network. That's that. Um, I think it's like a streaming service that's just horror films. Mm-hmm. And she hosts a show now on that. Yeah, she has joined. She's joined the podcasting community. She is a fellow. Oh, podcast. cool! And uh, incidentally, for anyone that maybe has not put two and two together yet, that this character Romero. Uh, if if you were wondering, you are indeed correct. He is named after George Romero, the, of course, master of zombie movies, Night of the Living Dead. John Carpenter did name the character after him. He was a big influence on John Carpenter. And a specific quote that he had about Night of the Living Dead, it gave hope to those of us in film school that it was possible to make a low-budget movie and get it on the big screen. And that quote, I think, really hits for John Carpenter because his movies... Are not were not big budget movies. This this movie was not a huge budget movie. His previous movies had not been big budget movies, and so he he 
clearly drew a lot of inspiration from George Romero's career. And now he got to have this insane character named after him in, in Thanks. Can I also bring up another character that's named after a director? Or should I wait? Uh, let's wait till that character shows up. Fair enough. So uh, as we get to the end of the minute, as we hinted at earlier, Romero indeed does start to get something out of his shirt. And nice little cliffhanger for you if you missed the first 10 seconds of the episode. <laughs> we're sneezing or coughing or something, so you don't know what it is. Uh, you can find out tomorrow. But I really love the physical acting that Frank Doubleday does here. He does like this little dip, and he gets this little smirk on his face as he takes it out because he knows what he's about to show Hauk, and he knows Hauk has no idea what he's about to show him. And so it's this little internal chuckle almost that he can't, quite contain of the joy he's going to have in showing how what he's taking out. And I love the fact that this isn't in a pocket. <laughs> this <laughs> is just, it's loose inside his shirt. <laughs> so he strutted for like 15 seconds with a severed finger, just sort of tucked up in his shirt. <laughs> hey, we don't know what, what's in there. <laughs> I don't know that that's Molly. Maybe you can see the future. I don't know what's in that shirt. I don't know. There's um, he had a, piece of a blanket rolled up in there i who's to say but he's got some packaging that uh is important that's not actually in any type of cargo short pocket or in a man satchel or something <laughs> it's just in the future we don't believe in pockets we just sort of tuck it in in an open shirt so for all we know his clothes are so ragged that his pockets have long since dissolved and don't exist anymore mm, yeah yeah. What a dystopia. A future devoid of pockets. <laughs> we have no pockets. <laughs> Look what has happened to American society. This is a hellscape. A world with no pockets. That's what I'm saying. That's one of my larger concerns here. Not so much that people can't get off an island, but they don't have a pocket, man. Like, how are you how are you carrying stuff around? I'm just saying. If you don't have a, a, a sweet vehicle, you need pockets. Well, especially for most guys where we just shove everything in our pockets, we don't carry a purse. So I, I don't know what I would do. I'd have to get a purse. Or <laughs> you'd have to just like have an open shirt and just <laughs> learn how to move with with junk in your shirt. I actually noticed one thing that I don't think was intentional, but there's some really nice lens flare from the fire that's sort of burning off in the in the on the right third of the screen. And when the camera changes, this is at, towards the beginning of the minute when Hauk is checking out the uh, the orange uh, Easter egg uh, pod. <laughs> and when when it switches camera angle, that lens flare goes from red and yellow to green and blue. That's just a really neat little touch that I bet was unintentional. But when John Carpenter looked at the looked at the dailies after he woke up the next day at 5 p.m., he was like, "Perfect, keep it." It just adds to that sci-fi feel of the film. Yeah, that is very cool. I did not notice that before. That's a great effect. Chris, you seem like a man who knows a good lens flare, considering (laughs) your your podcast. When you, when you do a 2001 A Space Odyssey podcast, you have to mention everything that's happening on the screen. <laughs> well, so speaking, we, speaking of 2001, let, let me hit you with a, a question here. 
because the shape of the pod yes sort of similar to to something that we see at the very end of 2001 what would happen if the star child in, in uh, suddenly dropped out of the sky and landed <laughs> in the manhattan prison just instead of <laughs> what would have happened to the star child oh jeez um i have no doubt at all that he would assert his uh metaphysical dominance over the the situation be a very different movie. Be a very <laughs> short movie. Um, yeah, I don't think he would tolerate any of this. Uh, what what happens in the rest of the film? I think it'd also be it would be difficult for anyone to uh, either sever a digit or um, really apprehend a being that's pure energy. So I think he'd be all right. Are you guys going to do the next in the series? Are you going to do twenty ten? Not at all. <laughs> we, we, uh, we did a special episode uh, during one of our little short breaks where we uh, got together, we watched 2010, and immediately afterwards went into our studio and recorded a very angry episode about the film. And really? Believe, yes. And... Um, and it's funny, I loved that movie as a 11-year-old, or I, I guess I was 12. But watching it as an adult that is more of a Kubrick fan than anything else, uh, I had some some issues with it, to put it diplomatically. So, uh, no, I do not think 2010 <laughs> by the minute is uh, is going to be on our agenda. It's a... And uh, the silver lining is it's available. So <laughs> any other podcast podcasters want to tackle that one, I'll be happy to be a guest. Tell everyone where you can uh, find your podcast. Oh yeah, uh, open the podcast doors. Hal is available on all the major uh, podcatchers: uh, Spotify, iTunes, you can uh, Google Play as well. And we also have an Instagram account. I try to post pictures relating to each episode. Um, and that is, uh, yeah, Instagram at Open the Podcast Doors Hal. We also have Twitter. And that address is a little different. It's called At 2001 Podcast. And we also have a listeners group on Facebook called Space Station 5. Awesome. Well, Chris is going to be with us all week, so he will be back tomorrow. And we will be back tomorrow as well. If you want to chat with us in the meantime, we are also on Facebook in Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. We are on Twitter. That's NY Minute Pod. And uh, if you're listening to us on any of your favorite podcatchers, give us a rating and a review. Subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. And so until tomorrow, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Thank you.